Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue-collar work ethic and where I find real value. Hey, and welcome back to the Black Duck Revival podcast. This week, I'm joined by James Brandenburg. James Brandenburg is a good friend of mine. He's also the chair of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers here in Arkansas. Uh, James is one of the initial people that uh, approached me when I first joined that organization and kind of invited me to take a more active role and join the board, which uh, I did, and I was on the board there for, I think, a little over two years, and my uh, my position just ran its course here a month or so ago, but uh, the board's still going strong, the organization's still doing fantastically, and doing some really good work. Uh, so we do talk about backcountry hunters and anglers, and specifically some of the stuff going on in Arkansas, uh, and then beyond that, it's uh, really kind of a ramble, which is truthfully one of the reasons that I enjoy talking to and spending time with James so much because we definitely come uh, from kind of different backgrounds and approach the world differently. But, you know, at his core, James is a really, really good dude. And if we could all kind of have relationships and friendships with people that approach the world differently uh, the way that I do with James, uh, I feel like we might be in a little bit better place than we are. But uh, anyway, like I said, this conversation ends up being kind of a ramble and we talk a lot about ethos and how we approach our lives and how we approach hunting and just a multitude of things. So if you're into that, this will be a good one. It's really kind of my favorite conversations to have. Uh, and I think that this conversation is uh, super indicative and illustrative of who James is and why I like hanging out with a guy and hunting with him and just talking with him and, and having the guy as my friend. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation with James Brandenburg. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. Today I am joined by one James Brandenburg. Uh, among other things, James is the chair of the Arkansas chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. He's a uh, hunter. He's an angler. He's a uh, professional suit up in northwest Arkansas. <laughs> and uh, he's actually here down in Little Rock to uh, go rub elbows with some big wigs, some, uh, some political types to uh, further the cause of conservation in Arkansas. And I was able to steal him away before his lunch break to uh, actually come over here to this uh, gulag type environment that I'm in. I'm, I'm working on a commercial remodel. And uh, so we're sitting in this very Spartan environment uh, in folding chairs. And uh, we're going to record a podcast. But James, thank you so much for joining me. Man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'd be remiss too. Uh, you also came down here with Kip Kruger, who is uh, also on the board of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And he is a he is sitting quietly and respectfully in his own folding chair uh, to our, <laughs> what direction is that? That's the south, I think. 
quick question. Kip, is Kip, is that your proper name or is that a shortened version? Short for Christopher with a K. Oh, really? Okay, I did not know that. Uh, Learn something new every day. I did, man. Yeah, I was, I, I, yeah, I'd never, is that a common abbreviation for Christopher? Uh, I think so. It was, it was in his household. Yeah, I didn't know that, man. (laughs) My dad's cousin was Christopher with a K and they called him Kip. Huh. Huh. I don't know. That's like your name being John and people call you Jack. Mm-hmm. Right? Just like, how, how, how does it get that way? Anyway, so we've sat here and uh, railed against the uh, modernity of uh, information or lack thereof for like the last 30 or 45 minutes. And we we need to decidedly change direction so I don't alienate everybody who listens to this podcast. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we were trying to kind of trying to James asked me, like, what are we going to talk about? So I think a good place to start would be uh, we'll give BHA a little bit of a plug and we'll talk about that because, I mean, that's honestly, that's my introduction to you a couple years ago. Uh, and then I just finished up two years as a, a board member and the Arkansas chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers as well. And I was I was recruited by uh, James Brandenburg and one Brad Green. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember our initial conversations when we were talking about that and, uh, yeah, that just kind of grew in us being buddies and mm-hmm. doing a little bit of hunting together and having long conversations on the telephone where we long walks on the beach. Yeah. Yeah. We wax poetic. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And then you, how did that work out? And then I think you, how many times were you on the bear hunting magazine podcast? I uh, did three or four probably yeah i think you beat me man because i think i was on there like three times uh (laughs) and then james has been he hasn't actually asked me about it but i know that i knew that he wanted to get on this podcast so i finally decided to let him on here that's my silent prayer every night before i go to sleep i've got to be careful man because then he'll take it over uh (laughs) (laughs) you're running into all the running jokes yeah yeah it's the brandenburg hour uh but yeah man so you know, you're you're a successful. Do you consider yourself a businessman? Is that mm-hmm. what you? Yeah, so yeah I guess so. You're a successful businessman, uh, but you've, uh, and I guess you're. I, I don't like the term, but you kind of came to hunting as a grown up, right? Yeah, definitely. So you came to hunting as a grown up. You're a businessman up in uh, the burgeoning metropolis of Northwest Arkansas. There, yeah, and uh, and now you find yourself in. Uh, this position of power and influence as the chair of backcountry hunters and anglers in Arkansas, uh, I guess rubbing elbows with the likes of, uh, senators and congressmen and governors and, uh, the movers and shakers of our, our fine state. So, uh, yeah, man, how did you, how did you get into backcountry hunters and anglers? Oh, rumbles of thunder. Maybe that's, maybe it's a topic we're not supposed to get into. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's a deal with the devil. And um, uh, that's the reminder. (laughs) Okay. We got to get out my talking notes here. No. So I, um, like I said, I got into hunting and fishing, um, as an adult kind of followed my kids into hunting. Um, just, we hunted at my in-laws place in, in Southern Missouri, private land, and then we would go out west for vacations. And to make a long story a lot shorter, I kind of came to figure out what public land meant. And then once I realized what that was and what kind of a treasure we had here in this country, 
in our public lands and we get to the the 2016 election and I'm paying attention to different positions and stuff and one of the I don't know how many people actually know this but in the 2016 election and I I believe this plank still exists I don't know it for sure though but the one of the planks in the Republican Party was about divesting federal public lands like getting rid of it and I was like, man, I just figured out what that stuff is, and I want to go see a bunch of it, and I don't really like that idea. And then I heard about BHA on a podcast that I listened to, probably the Meat Eater podcast. And I looked into it a little bit, and I'm like, well, that sounds cool. So I joined BHA just as a general member and kind of paid attention, like probably what most people do when they find something that's cool. It's like they sign up, and they get the newsletters, and I just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Um, there was no formal chapter in Arkansas. It was the Southeast chapter at the time. So it went from Arkansas all the way to Florida. And at some point there was an email. It's like, Hey, you know, we could use some help in Arkansas. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'll help out. And, and I tried and it was whoever was running it at that time. Um, you know, it just, it just wasn't getting going. Fast forward another year, and I, there's another email that comes out, and it's like, hey, you know, we're still could use some help. And so I was like, hey, you know, I'm here. I can help out. And a couple other people, Brad was one of them, I think, that, that did that at the same time. And um, I talked to Chad Rashar, who's who was the chair of the Southeast chapter at that time, and they're like, yeah, that's cool. If you want to, you know... It's kind of what we tell everybody. You want to organize a pint night and kind of get some things going. And it just hit at that point in my life. Like I was looking for something. It was, I was ready for the next thing to devote myself to. And so I got involved with it. I set up a couple pint nights. I did one in up in Northwest Arkansas. It's, Kip was at that one. Um, several of my board members now were actually at that first pint night. It just took a, different amount of time to get all of them involved. I did one down here in Little Rock. Uh, I did one in Fort Smith. And then I kind of figured out what people were wanting out of BHA and, and just went from there. So that's how I got involved at the level that I am was just by like kind of right place, right time. And I just basically said, yeah, I'll help start. I didn't... At the time, I didn't volunteer to help start a chapter. I just volunteered to help out with whatever needed to be done in Arkansas. And as that went along, it then became the, you know, the need to uh, basically stand up a chapter. Yeah. And then, so then it grew pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, there was, there was kind of like a... It, it did seem like there was just like some big stuff that came through. So there was this uh, pine tree deal. If you're familiar with that, or if, you, if you're not, you can, uh, there's plenty of stuff written about it. Like if you go to, if you just look up like pine tree, WMA, BHA, Arkansas, uh, basically this, uh, this chunk of public land that was, uh, kind of sequestered away as this agricultural research, uh, facility and then because of that the public had access to hunt it and it had been 
like bequeathed to the University of Arkansas, like what, the 30s, right? It w- the university bought it from the Forest Service in 1960. Okay, what, what, but wasn't bequeathed to the Forest Service? It was the, like donated, right? The, yep, the, the federal government bought up the degraded farmland that became the Pine Tree Research Station. They bought that up in the 30s as part of the Depression-era um, projects to take marginal farmland out of production. So... We just had a power blink here. Yeah, no, I think we're good, Checking man. Good that thing's quality. running on batteries. Okay. Uh, so they, so the federal government bought those parcels up in the late 30s and then held it and rehabbed it through the 40s and 50s. And then by 1960, the what the university bought was like about eleven or 12,000 acres. And that was identified as... Um, being sufficiently rehabbed enough to be a demonstration area. The reason that it was sold to the university is that um, part of the program that existed to buy all that property in the 30s dictated that those properties had to remain in public use for some you know, research purposes or demonstration about how to do good farming practices or just there's different things that, that were enumerated in the act the bankhead jones farm tenant act dictated what the what that property could then be used for if it was bought so when the university bought it in 1960 they bought it for research purposes and they did grazing they did timber they did crop stuff on it did all these different things and paid for the property with the proceeds that they made from the operations on the property so they paid it off in 1978, and they got a title then from the Forest Service that said, as long as that property remained in public use, it would remain with the university. But if it ever went out of public use, it would immediately revert back to the Forest Service. And so they were trying to sell it, a portion of it, to some uh, private interests from out of state, and those individuals never really went out there with what kind of, you know, they, their plans were never hyper public about what they were going to do with it. The rumor was that they were going to develop it into duck clubs, which mm-hmm. is big business over there. Sure. Yeah. So that's, that's a history lesson, I guess, for everybody. And then, yeah. So then, uh, BHA got involved with it. Uh, it just, <laughs> Put shown a bunch of light on it and put a bunch of pressure on uh, politicians and stuff, and then lo and behold, eventually they, it, it just it was kind of like there's too much light being shown on it. There was too much public outcry against it because uh, it was also like an interesting piece of land because over there in East Arkansas, you know, like kind of all of Arkansas used to be like this, but specifically still like East Arkansas right now is that like in the winter time a tremendous amount of the land and the public land kind of becomes, you know, partially aquatic, right? Like the river, it's very, very flat. The rivers flood up because of the rains in the wintertime that floods up, uh, the hardwood bottoms. And that's fantastic if you want to hunt ducks in timber, but if you aren't hunting ducks, you know, if you're interested in deer hunting or uh, small game pursuits, anything like that, there's not a ton of publicly accessible land in the region uh, 
before that. And, and Pine Tree was one of the places where you could still go around and like hunt squirrels mm-hmm. or run dogs. Uh, and then you also get into this kind of interesting situation there where, you know, East Arkansas, it, it, it's, I actually just wrote about this f- for a BHA, uh, for the Backcountry Journal. But it's weird because, you know, you think East Arkansas, and I think with hunting, a lot of people, they think of duck hunting, right? And you think duck hunting, uh, you don't, hell, it's one of the reasons that I get any attention because you don't think of people that look like me, right? Yep. But East Arkansas is majority black, right? Now, there's reasons for that. It's because of the agricultural area. You know, 200 years ago, it was all cotton. We can figure that stuff out. But, uh, you know, and then if you look at the hunting pursuits of different populations, like, just to put it frankly, like black people that are hunting in the South, in Arkansas, I mean, you're dealing with fishing, you're dealing with deer hunting, you're dealing with small game hunting, right? Mm -hmm. So the preponderance of those hunters uh, don't have use for flooded timber during the winter. You know, they have, they have use or desire for land that they can walk around in and slip hunt and pursue the stuff they want to pursue. Mm -hmm. So then you also have this weird situation where like one of the last vestiges of public land that was getting heavily used by an African-American population in East Arkansas was that was like another layer to this like weird shady, you know, divestiture of public land into private hands from out of state that wanted to turn it into this like money-making enterprise. And then I think on top of that too, isn't the price they had negotiated was like below market value, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of weird because from a conservation standpoint, you and this is inside baseball. There's a because of the restriction on the property, on the one hand, that property is I mean, it's restricted, right? So like if you were going to buy a, a house in town, but the only thing you could do with it is, you know, one person could live in a 6,000 square foot house, let's just say. It's not worth a lot, or it's worth less because there's a restriction on it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a restriction on what can be done with this property, and so that, from a conservation standpoint, negatively impacts the value. But on the other side of the coin, if that was f- open market farmland, sixty three hundred acres, it was grossly undervalued. Sure. And so, as soon as it would have required an amendment to federal law in order for that property to go from public to private. But as soon as that happened, that property was probably worth twice what the contracted price was. That'd be my guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so you get (laughs) BHA involved in this, a bunch of light gets shown on it, and lo and behold, uh, this sale does not go through. uh, And then just recently... There has a, uh, you know, been some, been some commitments to keep this. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you go ahead and explain that because you know better than I do. Well, so at this point, it's um, the Game and Fish Commission here in Arkansas and the University of Arkansas's Division of Agriculture have agreed to a long-term management agreement. So that property will remain public. It'll be rem- it'll remain open um, for public hunting and fishing. The commission will manage the wildlife and the public access. The division of ag will manage the habitat. I think that's how the agreement is written. And hopefully, 
and this is what we said from the beginning, if the university really needs to be rid of that property, because they're paying to maintain it, mm-hmm. um, and they're not doing research on it, and it doesn't have the value to them that it has, well, it, it has value to somebody. So hopefully we can facilitate an exchange of funds for, for the property, and it can be in the hands of some other public agency, maybe the Game and Fish Commission, who value it for the conservation purposes that it's there for and use it for that. But we've got it all. There's got a couple of laws passed in the last legislative session here in Arkansas that prohibited the sale. And now it's just, it's just a matter of figuring out who, who needs to get in the room and, and what, a fair exchange is to make that happen. And maybe it never will happen. I mean, if the university wants to hang on to it in perpetuity, they've already paid for it. They own it. It just has to remain open for public access or has to remain in public use. So, you know, we've accomplished what we set out to do, which is to keep public lands in public hands. And, you know, and I would say that that has, uh, especially for the region, you know, the Southeast, man, I think that really kind of put, you know, in the cultural zeitgeist of BHA, it kind of put Arkansas on the map uh, for a couple different reasons. So one, this was, you know, a, a pretty big win. Uh, I also think that, you know, I mean, BHA started as a Western organization. Uh, these states where there are these just enormous tracts of public land, you've got BLM land. Uh, and I think that there's, the Southeast is not is not thought of a place thought of as a place that uh, is as oriented towards public land access as it is here, right? So, like Arkansas has a tremendous amount of public land, mm-hmm. right? So we're talking about combinations of uh, state held land and state managed land. We're talking about uh, like federally controlled stuff, cash. Uh, River Wildlife Refuge, White River Wildlife Refuge. Uh, we've got tons of national forests. You know, we've got the Ozark Mountains. We've got the Wachita Mountains. Mm-hmm. Like millions of acres of public land, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. In conjunction with what is, you know, a relatively small population. Yep. So it's even now, you know, you start getting into some of these like green tree reservoirs and like competition for duck hunting or something like you wouldn't think that there's lots of places to hunt, but like ultimately, man, like, you know, you can just be a regular person from Arkansas with, uh, not a person of any real means. And, uh, you can have access to good quality hunting and, you know, not be on top of people. Right. Right. Yep. Uh, and it's, it's kind of a special thing. Like you could go South and go to Texas and you're talking about a state that's 95% privately held. Mm-hmm. So like if you wanted to just start from square one and start hunting without, uh, relationships with people that own land. Like you're not really going to have access to hunting, right? Yep. So, uh, and we were using this word in a conversation we had earlier, but there is a bit more of a meritocracy to hunting access here. Uh, and so, I, yeah, I think that, you know, through the hard work of people like James and other folks on the board uh, and, you know, kind of the, the kismet nature of having this big keystone event, I think it kind of put us uh, as a state, like on the map, as far as a, a locale for 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 public land hunting, and also like in the zeitgeist of of hunting culture as well. Because you know, you're, then you're also—I mean, there's all these like weird things happening, right? Then you've got like uh, 
I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't say it, man. But you know, like I think Clay and Clay Newcomb's uh, his profile rising has, and, and you know his uh, his strong identity as an Arkansan, mm-hmm. you know, has put like a lot of uh, public attention on the state. Uh, it's favorable attention. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. So I'm, I'm actually that's kind of like an introduction to <laughs> it's a long intro. Yeah. To who James is and what he's doing. Right. But it'll actually serve as kind of like a segue into more of what I really want to get into. So I think that part of the reason that you've been successful uh, as a chair of BHA, right? So you got a, you got a couple things planned for you. Right. So like one, I think your kids were at an age where you were, you know, you like, you got kids in college, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, they're starting to move into professional careers. Mm-hmm. Like your youngest, Zach, is going to be graduating in a year, right? So like yep. you don't have like little kids, right? You got a little bit more uh, space. A little bit more space and a little more, more like personal use of your time, right? I think it's also very much like a personality thing. Like, so James is a list maker, right? <laughs> like James makes lists about everything. Like, and I first saw that in action uh when we were hunting him and zach came down uh to the lodge to hunt and he had a list and it like had lucky charms on the like he had (laughs) he had it listed out like what kind of cereal they were going to get there's a reason for that yeah i'll tell you what i think is funny about that man is you did all that list making and then you came down to the duck lodge and you had no waiters Uh uh-huh and uh, and you know why you know why that was you're gonna blame your son i'm sure yeah i I am absolutely gonna blame my son because i left the waiters and boots in the workshop for him to get when he got home that day and i was like okay there'll be a reason for him to go down there and i'll have him get those and then we didn't go down there and get that stuff i did everything else and i forgot in my head that i had left something purposeful for him to do it's my fault. I mean, it's it my sound, fault. It sounds like the difference between uh, intention and execution, James. <laughs> it, I mean, it really is. <laughs> but then you didn't you go to uh, North Dakota to uh, you went to North Dakota, went to Nebraska, to, uh, Nebraska, Nebraska to duck hunt, and your poor child didn't have any clothes to wear. Now that's all his fault <laughs> because I literally asked him when we were walking out the door. Now, do you have everything? Do you have your? I mean, it's a it's a joke now. Do you have your waders and boots? Every time we go, you get your waders and boots. I got everything, Dad. I got everything. And we pull up at the hotel in Ogallala, Nebraska, and I open up the back, and he's like, oh, you know, this just deer-in-the-headlights look. Where's my crate? Where's my crate? Where's my crate? And he's like, oh, no. I didn't bring my crate. had all my hunting clothes in it. So luckily, his father made a list (laughs) Overprepared, just because we were driving, we could take whatever we wanted. He got to wear basically all my clothes all week. He had his waders and boots, which was good. That was in something else, but he didn't have socks, long underwear, shirts, none of it. Mm. So maybe Zach needs to be more of a list maker as well. Yeah, we're working on that. Uh, Hopefully he's picking up on that, listening to this podcast. <laughs> and maybe so, man. Uh, okay, so like, yeah, I think that some of those personality traits uh, are beneficial to the role. And then, and I promise we'll get into some of this more substantive stuff as well. I also think that uh, 
there, I mean, you know, like, so say that pine tree deal, right? Like there was a lot of talking to senators and state reps and, uh, you know, let's say politicians, professionals and stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that like we've stated, you know, you're a businessman. You, these are kind of like, maybe not the political part, but like, these are, uh, you, you have a professional skill set that lends itself to some of that relationship building, right? So yep. I, I think that kind of all coalesced in a way that was like really beneficial to, uh, you know, folks that, that hunt and care about public land ownership in this state. And it, I'll, I'll tell you what I thought about just as I watched it all develop, right? Was that and just like as we got to know each other better and like we had more of these conversations and everything right is and and, and you were kind of talking about when you got here about like the juxtaposition right you're like uh you know you got like a nice pair of slacks and a shirt on you got these shoes that have a little bit of a I little shiny little shoes. ombre kind of a stained what kind of shoes are those do you know johnson and murphy johnson and murphy man you know my dad was a huge johnson and murphy guy uh, i just bought them i'll see if i like them he liked johnson and murphy's he liked cole hans okay. uh my dad was your dad was a well-dressed man my dad was a sharp dressed guy yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. uh he was man when i had you know when my head was just like three dreadlocks man he was not into that at all <laughs> well i remember one time he told me to walk uh told me to walk three paces behind him uh, <laughs> he didn't like the way I looked when I was like 24 but uh, but yeah man I mean you know really what it is is you've got some uh, you've got an ability to to interact in some circles that uh, that gives you access to 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 some of these more uh I don't know what you would call it. Just, you know, just kind of like. Uh, well, I, I, I don't would, know. How would I'm trying to think of a nice way to say it, but well, uh, how, I, a tactful way. How would you go about it? Well, I think what you're trying to to get at is that I can I can definitely put on a nice suit and not embarrass myself in a setting where tact and respect and nuance and all of those kind of things, you know, I can make small talk and, and have conversations and kind of get my point across. I mean, I've been doing sales for 20 years or more and I've, I can, I can do that. It's not, yeah, it's definitely a skill set that you have. It's a skill set that I had to learn because of my job. But I don't ever think of myself as a political animal or a salesperson or particularly desirous of um, attention. If that, I don't know, and I don't know if that makes sense to anybody else, but, you know, I'm a an introverted person. I'm way more comfortable in a room with three guys with, you know, drywall dust and whatever, just sitting around talking than I am in a crowded room with many conversations going on and 
and a need for me to focus in on a particular conversation or talk to 15 different people or, or whatever the case might be. Um, but developing that skill set to be able to get out of my comfort zone and do that is just part of an intentional decision on my part to recognize, first of all, what I am strong at or what I am, what my, what my, um, you know, base level is that I prefer. I know what I prefer. And then to recognize that it's okay to get outside of my comfort zone. Um, if I, if I can put that, I mean, in, in the scenario we're talking about, put the suit on, put the costume on, whatever it is, and assume a, a role for a set period of time in order to advance a point of view, a mission, make a sale, whatever the case is. Um, I've taught myself how to do that enough to get by, but I'm not, you know, I'm not the, the, um, you know, win friends and influence people kind of typical salesman kind of mindset, you know, the big extrovert that's going to walk up to everybody and say, Hey buddy, how's it going? You know, so glad to see you and blah, 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 blah. And I can't remember everybody's name and I can't remember all the details about people that, you know, unless I, I mean, this is a, embarrassing to admit, but I mean, less than I, unless I take a real personal interest in people, I mean, I just have a very narrow circle of friends who I know their anniversaries and their birthdays and stuff like that. And I have a lot of people that I, outside of that very tight circle that I care about, but I just can't remember all the stuff. And like, I feel like that's a, if, if, if you were going to describe me as a salesperson, I feel like a salesperson should be able to remember that stuff. Like I work with people who are, you know, they know when we go visit a customer, they know, oh yeah, she's, you know, she just had a kid. It's a girl. Uh, she had a difficult pregnancy. Her husband does this, da, 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 da. And it's like, how do you remember all that stuff? We were in a meeting trying to sell something to him. Oh, they just remember it. I don't know. So, I mean, so I, I would actually be inclined to say that, uh, I would say you're selling yourself short with that a little bit. Um, because it's, so we're talking about like the skill set, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, and here's where I think we're going to segue into some more substantive parts of this conversation, right? So I think that everybody understands when they're being pandered to, right? So I think you're hitting a yeah. – so, so part of what I was saying is everything you just said is true, right? I think also part of what I'm saying is like you have an ability to blend in into these environments, right? That let's say, so the juxtaposition right in this room would be me, right? In a way that I can't, uh, I could be as clean cut as I wanted to be and go into those situations and I would still stick out right now. I would say that part of my skill set, you know, part of my, uh, appeal is a certain level of like, if I'm being as self-aware as I can be, is like a certain level of controversy, right? Like I'm not trying to be adversarial with people, but I'm also not trying to make, I'm not overly concerned with, uh, uh, 
just agreeing and making yeah, making feel good making about what they making said. people feel comfortable uh, uh, at the cost of. I think me trying to be authentic, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I've I've carved out a niche for myself where that can be, you know, it's becoming like professionally beneficial in some ways, right? Uh, now, I I would definitely say that I'm I'm way less. I, when I was younger, I think that I that was tantamount to being adversarial a lot, and I don't think I'm adversarial the way I used to be when I was younger, but. Uh, you know, I mean, just just kind of me and myself makes like some people uncomfortable, right? So it's just uh, <laughs> that's just kind of part of part of what it is. But and I thought about this a lot, man. Like how I would say this, but I think that what as our friendships develop, man. Like I would say, you're probably you're probably like my take this with a big grain of salt, but you're kind of like my yuppie friend, right? Like you're oh, my Jesus. friend. And I don't mean that. <laughs> I don't mean that is in like in, in a uh, diminishing way at all. But I mean, like you're my friend who, uh, that like, I feel like I'm fairly close to that exists in, in kind of a more standard professional world. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I don't feel like you're participating in any way in a way that's fraudulent, right? So if you were going around and schmoozing people, yeah, right, that would be inauthentic, right? You like you have a professional career, you've made a good living for yourself and your family, you provided you know com- a comfortable lifestyle for them. You also like have really substantive conversations with your kids, and you have like high standards for them morally, and uh, you know you didn't grow up with a silver spoon in your mouth. I no. feel like you've earned earned your, uh, the things you have in your life and you're, you're, you're willing to have conversations that make you uncomfortable, which mm-hmm. I appreciate. Uh, and you also aren't a, uh, you're willing to be challenged, but you're not a pushover. Right. So like you'll, I mean, we haven't had any like adversarial conversations, but we've had, there's well, there's been, been a couple. Well, there's a couple. couple times. Yeah, I mean, there's been a couple of times where I've asked you questions or or raised a point that's like, you know, what about this? And you're like, well, man, what about that? And I was like, oh, yeah, what about that? I mean, it's good to have your. This is something that I learned a long time ago. That I didn't know. It was probably instilled in me by my parents because my dad was kind of did his own thing, um, the way he wanted to do stuff, and and allowed that to some degree to probably more than just some degree to allow here he allowed that to to exist in our house when i was growing up but you know as i came of age i was exposed a few times to different situations where i was outside my comfort zone and also kind of challenged to think about why i thought the way i did um i was thinking about this on the way down here so in sixth grade, I think it was in sixth grade, and I can't remember what it was that I did, but I won some contest and got to go to ecology camp in Hot Springs. Okay. I don't even know who put it on. I mean, I couldn't tell you the first thing about it. I just remember that I went, and I met people from all over Arkansas, kids, who were different from me, and we were all at ecology camp 
I mean, it was like, I mean, Northwest Arkansas was homogenous at that point in time, right? And you got kids from all over Arkansas. So you got rich kids, poor kids, white kids, black kids, boys and girls. It was like 400 kids or I don't even know. It probably wasn't 400 kids. I don't know how many it was. But okay, so you see all these different people, right? And I'm like, okay, there's different people. That was really the first time in my life that I had been exposed to you know, besides what you see on TV, just, just different people. And we were not, when I, when I grew up and I've told this story all the time, you know, before we moved to Arkansas, my dad had lost his job and it got to the point where we were on food stamps, WIC vouchers, government subsidy handouts, you know, we'd go get stuff that get the, you know, get the surplus cheese and, and whatever else. Right. And my dad's unemployment ran out. We sold everything we had. I had to pick which toys I was going to keep. We sold it at an auction and moved to Arkansas where my grandparents were living. We lived with my grandparents for six months. So my dad started a new life and things were better for us eventually. I was not, um, you know, when I grew up in Northwest Arkansas, I was not part of what was the in culture at that time. So I go to this ecology camp and I have my question, my, my beliefs questioned a little bit, or at least see that there's different people between my junior and senior year of high school. Then I went to Arkansas governor's school, which was at Hendricks. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's where I met my wife. So 400 people, 400 juniors going on to be seniors in high school. Again, intentionally selected, the best and the brightest, but you had all different. You had conservative, you had liberal, you had boys and girls, black, white, brown, the whole range of it. And everybody's there in all their glory, and it's all like, you be you, but we're going to challenge every one of you's beliefs. Six weeks on campus changed my life because it made me think about how other people saw things. And so... From that, those experiences, and that, and that has continued on now for the rest of my life, it makes me sit here and think about what, what about me do I need to question? And, I, and it touches every aspect of my life. What do I need to question in my professional life? What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? What's in my personal life? With my relationship with my wife or my kids or in BHA? You know, what am I doing well? What do I need to work on? Um, In hunting, to bring it back to the, you know, more the nature of the podcast. Like, what am I, what am I looking for? Why am I doing this? Why is it valuable to me? What am I doing that's not valuable? What am I doing that's not true to myself? And I think that's probably that constant introspection is probably what you sense that like I'm doing things in an authentic way because I'm not just out there taking a paycheck and living high on the hog. It's like, I'm really trying to think about what I do and why I do it. Yeah. You know, and you know, to use, you know, the way that I would normally talk, man, like that's why I fuck with James. Right. Cause he's <laughs> thinking about stuff and it's not about, uh, 
none of this is about like self-loathing, right? Like yeah. I don't think James doesn't feel guilty that he's got, you know, a, a decent, comfortable life. Right. But he's self-analytical, which I think, you know, so this podcast is supposed to be about like the nature of craft, right? The creation of a life for yourself. Now, the way that I intersect with that a lot is kind of this, uh, or interact with that rather is like an intersection of, working with my hands and like thinking about stuff and introspection. And one of the ways that I have found access to that is through hunting and cooking and all of that stuff. Right. But it's, it's the reason that the podcast is designed to be so broad in scope, because I think that all of these things contribute to like a life well lived. Right. Uh, and so like we got to know each other through hunting, but then that's, an access point to have all these other conversations and then to find all these points of intersect with how we're hunting, right? Like, uh, we're talking about stuff like the ethics of hunting over bait or, uh, our different purity scales or where it's all right for money to enter the equation and where it's not. And then you're at hunt camp and then you're having conversations about, you know, my lived reality and the difference in your lived reality. Right. And then or shit, even Zach being there and like us having a conversation and him just absor- absorbing through osmosis, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that then maybe down the line has some impact on him and how he's living his life. Right. And, uh, what I appreciate about it is that, you know, it takes a, it, it takes a certain amount of, what you call it what you want, man, like fortitude or courage to, to be introspective because the fe- the danger in that, the fear in that is to find ways that you're lacking or find ways <laughs> that make you uncomfortable. Right. Uh, but I think that's where all the growth is coming from. That's how you become a better person. That's how you become a fuller person. Uh, and then if we want to bring that to hunting, uh, I think a lot of us now in a, in a, in a world of modernity when we have access to tons of creature comforts and we have this, you know, library of Alexandria and this like supercomputer in our pockets and all this stuff, right? We're using hunting. A lot of us are using hunting as a way to, to gain access to truths that came before all of that technology, right? Like stuff that is innately human. And I'm seeing it, in the way my perspectives change, like just in this last year, I, and I've been, I think I've been forthcoming about this, but I definitely had a chip on my shoulder or kind of a, an arrogance about my hunting compared to like Western hunting, Mm -hmm. because I live in a place and have created a life where it's kind of like a year round thing. Like it doesn't really stop. It kind of wax and waxes and wanes and undulates, but it's different than a lot of these Western hunters who like they get two weeks and they bust ass, you know, trying to kill a, like one giant animal with a bow or something. Right. And then kind of, they're not for yep. most of the rest of the year. Right. right? And I, 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 well, I admittedly, I felt like there was a level of being a dilettante to that. Right. And, Hell, I'm even like, I think there's an article someone wrote and they quoted me talking about like people that are trying to crossfit their hunting experiences (laughs) and stuff. Right. Uh, and then I took my ass to the mountains in Utah and realized that like 
there's a, a reason <laughs> there's a different kind of hunting right now i i would still say that i'll take the regularity of the access to hunting that i have but man you're gonna you're gonna have to work all year long to be in good enough shape and look i was doing it in snow when uh you know those elk couldn't be up on the top of the mountains right yep. like if i had been there three three months before and i had to get within 20 yards of them like I killed an elk at 300 yards. If I had to be 20 yards away from them and they could be all the way at the very top, you know, they could be at 10,000 yeah. feet. Like you better be a bad mother jammer, you know, like you better be bad to get up there and get back down and be able to keep doing it day after day after day. So, you know, that's like a, that's a place. And I'm a human being and most human beings, I think have to have personal experience with something to be able to have some empathy towards it or mm -hmm. somebody else. Right. But, uh, I had to change my, my perspective on that. Right? Yeah. Like I had to change my perspective on traveling to hunt. So the fact that you're willing to do that, not just in hunting, but in all these different aspects, uh, of your life, I think is, uh, you know, I mean, that's attractive to me. That's the kind of person I want to be around. Uh, and I think like we talked about it, like with your bear hunt, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like you went after that black bear kind of with that in mind that you were, I mean, there was oh, a, yeah. a level of challenge to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've really taken that on over the last few years when I, you know, at some point I was, I kind of looked at myself and like, what am I trying to get out of my hunting besides food or besides fun? Like, what is this contributing to my overall being? Yeah. Cause if you don't kill, if you didn't kill three deer your family's not going to starve exactly right and if you if there was just like a they said you can't hunt this year in arkansas you could uh still recreate with your family in different ways yeah right but like yeah so what did i mean and those are all contributing factors but did you did you or have you found that the other stuff is is a bigger piece of it for you like the other stuff besides food and fun Talking yeah. about like the challenge, all the intangibles. Yeah, no, I th I think um, I I had to really analyze my um, my motivations and try to figure out what intangibles I was going for. And you know, part of part of where I got to was probably just what I was doing with BHA and kind of who I was around because I because I got to know Clay a little bit and um and kind of saw the way that he was challenging himself with things. And Zach and I got to hunt with him a couple of times, uh, during youth Turkey season and, mm -hmm. and, and then hunting with you. Um, and, and then I started really paying attention to that aspect of it was this idea of, of a challenge and personal growth in areas that I wouldn't need to tap into otherwise. Like I can go to the grocery store and feed my family just fine. And, I can put a backpack on and I can hike around in the woods without having to, you know, I don't have to know the trees. I don't have to know the terrain. I don't have to know what's going to be where so that I can try to find an elusive, you know, mammal out in the woods. But then I was like, okay, but there's honor and value and it touches something in us of a, of a just basic human nature when you have to study those things enough to be proficient at it 
and and I'm and I don't mean I'm gonna say something I don't mean it to be I don't mean to denigrate the way anybody else hunts. This is what I've chosen for me. Um but you know I I didn't want to uh I, I wanted to go and meet the animals on their own terms where they were. I didn't want to put out whether it's uh you know bait for bears it could be which is which is totally legal and necessary and and i have no problem with it in fact i was telling kip on the way down here that that's probably i may try to do that as another challenge in another year um i didn't want to you know i didn't find value in sitting over i did like a canned hunt where you know buddy of mine was sick and we're like oh let's all get together we'll we'll go do a hog hunt. He's always wanted to hunt hogs. Well, the way you did it was sat over a feeder and the thing went off and all the little pigs came in. And if a big enough one was there that you wanted to shoot, you shot it. That wasn't, I, I did that once and I realized, well, that wasn't really enjoyable to me. It was fun to be with my friends, but I didn't get value out of it otherwise. And so I was kind of figuring out where my boundaries were. And I realized that what I really got out of it what I really wanted to get out of hunting was developing a skill set that I didn't otherwise have and that I probably really didn't need otherwise. But it was valuable to me for some reason I haven't figured out yet. So like I put myself in uncomfortable situations. I went out and camped in the National Forest. Now I took my camper because you told me, it was like, man, it'd be really nice when you come back from that to be able to take a shower. I'm like, yeah. that sounds cool. I like that. So I did it on my terms, right? Mm -hmm. Like I made myself uncomfortable, but I still did it on my terms, you know? And there's, I don't know. I mean, I'm not some hard hitting, you know, backwoodsman. I'm, I'm probably a below average hunter, but I like to get out and give it a try. Right. So I did this stuff on my terms. I went out, I bear hunted spot and stock bear hunted. I had to get good enough with a bow to be able to do that. So I did. I needed to figure out how to identify certain plants and trees and whatever. So I did need to get good enough at navigating and reading maps. I did it right now. I'm trying to figure out how to drive a boat because I've never had one before. I'm not very good at it. I can't get the damn thing back on the trailer. And we talked about it the other day. You know, I feel, I feel awkward and, and fake and exposed every time I put that thing on the water and go driving it around. I'm, I have only been on the lakes. I haven't taken it on the river yet. I don't, I'm, I've kayaked on the lakes and I know how I, I can kayak fish and, and that put me in a big boat. The wind's blowing me all over the place. I don't know where the fish are in a big boat. Like when you're in a kayak, you just get right up to the shore and I just enjoy catching perch and stuff. No big deal. It's like, that's what I like to do. But this year I was like, I'm going to learn how to drive a boat. So I bought a boat and I'm learning how to do it. But I have chosen all of that to be the way that I interact with the outdoors. I go out and challenge myself based on my own things that I want to get done. And I think even taking a step back from that, what I have learned from that is that there's value in everybody's interactions with the outdoors on their terms 
Like, don't do what I do just because I'm doing it. Don't do what Clay does. Don't do what you do. Don't do what Steve Rinella does just because that's what they do. Like, what do you want to get out of it? You want food? Man, go hunt over a corn feeder and shoot a doe. Like, if you just want food, quick and easy. I say quick and easy. It's not quick and easy. I'm making it way oversimplified. And I, I'm sorry for folks that do that. And I know it's not as easy as just putting out a pile of corn and shooting animals. It doesn't work that way. But my point is, I think it's on all of us as humans. It's just a foundational thing. I've tried to teach it to my kids. You need to know who you are. You need to constantly ask yourself who you are and why you're doing the things you're doing and if you don't like something about what you learn or what you figure out, it's on you to change it. Like the world doesn't owe you anything. To, it doesn't, they don't have to change you. Like if I woke up tomorrow and I was like, man, I don't like being a towel salesman anymore. And, and it's just crushing my soul and I can't stand this anymore. It would take me a while to unwind from it, but I'd make a plan. I'd make a list, <laughs> you know, and I would talk that over with my loving partner in life, my wife, and we would figure out what the next phase was because that's just how we approach it. Like, yeah, and see, and I would, I would jump, you know, and I've done that plenty of times. I. Yeah. And that's more of who I am, right? Yeah. I think that But see it's but see that for me, it's me doing it on my yes, terms. Yes, man. And that's what's important about it. And I would I would actually say, James, that uh I I would say that knowing you has actually helped me be more comfortable with letting people be who they are. <laughs> well, that's I'm, good. I mean that like for real, man, cuz like uh <clears throat> You know, I I think that I would be uh I would, you know, like I said, man, like I'd be I'd be conditioned to have some biases, right? Man, we all are. This dude lives in Northwest Arkansas. There's this business guy, man. He's wearing these Johnson and Murphys, right? Like <laughs> blah 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 blah. <clears throat> right? And uh like finding out that you're a dude that like I like a bunch and I like to talk to and that we have conversations that I feel like push me and like help me develop and I feel like I'm better afterwards because of it. That lets me know that, uh, you know, that I'm being an asshole about some stuff and that I need to change my perspective in some things and that, you know, there have been there have been times when I've limited myself uh, in the relationships that I've probably been willing to have with people because now look, some of this might be motivated because of being burned and other times. Right. But like, yeah. I think what you've got to do and like what you said, what you said, man, is you've got to be willing to expose yourself. Right. Like you've got in any of this stuff, the key to all of this is vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. Like I know exactly what you're talking about. You're trying to unload a boat or load a boat at a ramp and you got people looking at you and you feel like you just feel like a fraud. Yeah. I'm a grown man and I, I, <laughs> I'm getting this thing all cockamamie and then I got to get out and push it and blah, blah, blah. Right. And the only way to get better at it is just to keep doing it. 
and you have to be willing to be vulnerable and to expose yourself. Uh, I'll tell you something I've been doing a lot. Uh, I got to the end of duck season and like just straight up, man, I was for lots of different reasons, man, but I was just like fat. Right. And I just like felt shitty and I, I just, I just didn't feel good about myself. Right. And so I just like signed up for a 12 mile race. Yeah, that's crazy. And then I started, <laughs> I got a little app on my phone. And I started training for it. Right. And so like one, I had not run more than a mile since I was 17 playing lacrosse. Right. Mm -hmm. So like 20 years, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, 22 years. And, <laughs> uh, man, it, it was hard. Like, and it, you know, it was just like starting a little bit at a time. What I also realized was difficult about it for me was just being seen, like being out there, being awkward, have people see me, have people, you know, like having fat jiggle, just not being proficient at it. Right. And that was difficult for mm -hmm. me. And so, but the regularity of it and, and kind of working my way up in it, like, you know, today you do this, today, then you do that, then you do that, then you do that, right? Uh, and then, what, uh, two weeks ago, man, I ran 10 miles. And, That's I mean, awesome. I'm 39 years old. Like, it's not like, it's not like I didn't feel the 10 miles, man, but I was like, dude, I can run. I ran 10, man. I could run 13. I yep. could run a half marathon. You can make it. You know? Uh but I was realized I was getting a bunch of other stuff out of that. Just the every day of it, mm -hmm. you know, like a, honestly, a problem that I have is like what could probably be termed as like a lack of discipline. I'm really good at like bearing down and doing really hard stuff in burst. I'm not as good at long sustained maintenance. Oh, so hard. You know? And yeah, so like having that it. thing has been helpful to me. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Having people see me do something that I'm not comfortable doing has been helpful to me. It's helped me a lot to just be like, man, maybe they are looking at me and being like, look at this fool. Mm -hmm. But like, what impact do they actually have on my life? Yeah. And how much is it, how much are they actually really looking at you and, and is it impacting their day? Are they like taking pictures and being, and going on, you know, are they making that much effort to really have it impact them? Or are they just like, oh, there goes somebody. And then they go on about their day. Or what like, if they this, did? Yeah, well, I mean, what if they did, right? Right. right. I, but it's like, I think we all kind of get wrapped up in this idea that, oh, everybody's looking at me. They're not looking at you, man. Don't See, be such a narcissist. I don't actually think that's true, man. <laughs> I think people are looking at you. I think that you people... Have, you have a different reason for thinking that, though, well, than I do. Oh, well, I don't just mean that. I just mean that I think that people are looking at other folks... And I think there's often this thing where we try and diminish somebody else to make ourselves feel a little bit sure. better. I think that what I'm finding, the what's important in that is to not let that be a determining factor in my life. It yeah. doesn't mean that I don't feel a wince of embarrassment. Like, I'm a human being. I want everybody to think I'm the coolest thing that ever walked around. But that's not reasonable because I'm not, right? What? And <laughs> I know it's hard to, uh, to believe that, but like... But just that simple thing, man, like me getting out and running, it's, it doesn't require anything other than myself. It requires just complete faith and exertion of myself, mm -hmm. and it feeds into all these different aspects that I feel like it's making me 
a better dad. I feel it's making me a better husband. I know it's going to make me a better hunter, right? I'm going to be able to go further and go longer. Uh, It's giving me stuff. It's giving me this regular expenditure that's allowing me to kind of make these micro adjustments on a day-to-day basis. Uh, It's giving me these like, you know, I physically feel better because I think that like as human beings, we're designed to move and we do are. all that stuff. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And, uh, and that's like, that's from an hour a day, just running around, just like the most simple thing. And it's like with the hunting, man, it, it, it is. And it's like, okay, so the simple thing I'm running around, I'm going hunting. Like, I mean, we could go another hour Sure. We talked another hour before this, you know, about how modern stuff and the way things have evolved, how it intrudes on the nature of just how we disseminate information and how we how we feel about things. But just stop and think about, and and this is just what people. I just I just want to grab some people. Like sometimes my kids, I just want to grab them and be like, stop with all of the BS that's all around, like, look, we are all right here. Let's talk. Let's move together. Let's go sit in the woods together. You know, and I, I don't know if I would have figured this stuff out. I probably would have figured it out somehow if I wasn't into hunting and fishing. I mean, before hunting and fishing for me, uh, it was golf. My dad and I golfed. I golfed from the time I was five years old and I still, I, I still will play occasionally. That was our thing. That's what he and I did. And I had some very romantic notions about, about the beauty of a golf course. And, and even then though, like the things I enjoyed the most was not like being out there on a crowded course in the middle of a hot day. It was like in the springtime when, it was warm during the day, got to the end of the day, and I was playing at the end. You know, everybody else was off the course. The dew was starting to fall. There's probably a time or two where I took my shoes off and just walked barefoot on the golf course just to see what it was like. And it's that simple pleasure of enjoying where you are. I want to grab people and be like, just be where you are. Just enjoy where you are. Don't worry so much. I'm one to talk. Don't worry so much about what's tomorrow. Don't worry, don't worry so much about your list of things to do. But like just I think that's what I learned with getting out and hunting and fishing is like the world just kind of shrank down into into where we are where i am today what i'm doing right now and it touched for me it just touched this place that i didn't know i had of of my own humanity and it connects me now connects me with a lot of other people who have that same feeling like i don't hunt the way everybody else hunts that's fine i really like hanging out with the ones that like to hunt the way i do that are willing to work hard at it, that, you know, it's about the experience more so than the kill, even though the kill is pretty fun. And, and, and I still, I was thinking about this the other day. It's like, I still really like shooting things. Like I dig it. I, I, 
I've told myself on several different occasions, okay, I'm going to go out. I'm only going to do this. I'm only going to do that. And when presented with the opportunity to make a legal, make a legal shot on something, you know, let's say it's a, I'm only going to shoot a big mature buck. Well, there's a smaller buck and it's legal. I think I'm going to shoot it because I really dig having that success. And I know what's coming after that is all the hard work of breaking that animal down and turning it into food. And I want that. I want that more than I want a big rack on my wall. Like, I don't know. I'm just rambling at this point, but that's a, that's a thing that I just don't think we stop and think about enough is, is what, what are you actually getting out of your hunting and, and what do you really want out of it? Why, why do people do the same thing year after year after year after year? I mean, maybe that's just, maybe that is what they want. I don't know, but I've just got to the point where it's like, I want to learn new things. And so that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I like a good ramble, man. It actually, this ended up being exactly what I wanted out of it. Uh, although it was difficult for me not to make a snide remark about the golf. Uh, <laughs> but no, man, like, look, just kind of in conclusion, and, and this needs to be a brief one because I think you said a lot of stuff really well, but uh, I think the exposing oneself to vulnerability to being willing to engage in vulnerability uh is really important and and yes all the different ways we're talking about like going out and doing hard stuff uh testing yourself you know having these conversations with people i think also there's a level of vulnerability to uh accepting that your way, whatever your way, whatever your perspective, any of that, it's not just that it's okay for someone to feel differently or to live differently, that it's necessary and that, uh, and, and I don't subscribe to this thing like that, like, well, you know, I, I can't be wrong because that's just my opinion. Uh, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that it's, you know, James, in a weird way, man, you being a, a towel salesman with these fancy shoes, you know, <laughs> it, it makes the world better, you know, because it, it's like my wife said this about a, a buddy of mine that I was lamenting some aspect. I mean, basically about like him being a little too regimented. And she said, you know, if everybody was like him, the world would be a boring place. And if everybody was like you, it'd be pretty fucking chaotic. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's important to remember. And I think that's important to remember internally too, mm -hmm. to where it's like, it's not just that I'm this way and you're that way. It's that this is what I am right now and that I get I get the the joy of having that change as necessary as situation dictates mm -hmm. as experience dictate dictates as a as just my truth changes you know and mm -hmm. uh like that's kind of some of the best parts about being 
a human being, a human being. Like that's the whole thing about being alive is like, there's a chance, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really what you got. Yeah. You got a chance. Every day you wake up with a chance to be better or a chance to be worse. Yeah. Or just, and maybe the right thing to do is just to maintain. I mean, look, I got Some plenty time. of, I got plenty of days where the best thing I can do is just <laughs> try not to lose ground. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes that isn't just a day. Sometimes that's like months at a time. Yep. But uh, eventually, uh, eventually if I kind of keep leaning into those, those couple basic beliefs that I have, I'll end up a little further along in the journey. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's, I think that's the key thing that people have to think about. Um, I, I told my wife this the other day that at some point in my mid twenties, I was working a job I didn't really love. I was working overnights and struggling with, like I thought I knew where I wanted to go. I wasn't happy. So clearly that wasn't on the right path. And I just went through this process completely on my own, trying to figure out what I wanted out of life. Like what is going to make me happy? Cause I was not happy. I was happy with my wife, but otherwise I was not happy. So I knew, okay, number one, I wanted, I wanted to be married. And I had to sit and think about stuff. And, I, and what I came up with was that whether everybody in the world knew who I was and I was super famous or if only the people that I, like my closest friends, just like my own little tiny, if I had the tiniest circle, regardless, it was important to me that I lived my life in a way that people would look back on me and remember me as being a good dude. Like that's how I kind of sum it up. I wrote it all down at that time. I don't know where that paper is. I have lots of things that I've written, but I don't have that one. I can't find it. But it was basically like whether everybody knows my name or nobody knows my name, I want them, I just want to live a life that people will say I was a good dude. And that has guided me in decision-making, consciously or not, through most of the rest of what I do. I think you probably have something similar. Like you have a, you have a mantra, not a mantra. You, you have a guiding principle that takes you where you want to go, whether you know it or not. I feel like if people somehow had a way to sit down and think about that, it's very difficult. You have to, you have to work very hard to get to that final distilling thing of what your guidepost is. But I've encouraged all my kids to do it. I don't know how much they've taken me up on it yet, but I'm going to keep working on it, keep working at them. And hopefully when they're sitting here 20 years from now, they'll be able to say something like that, that they, they figured it out and it helped them figure out where they're going to go. So you should get good dude tattooed on your stomach, like a Tupac tattoo, man. Just like a big arch, good dude, man. I'm that afraid a- of my stomach getting too big to have that and like get all stretched oh, out. You're not gonna get that, man. <laughs> anyway, man. Uh, <laughs> good dude. Uh, let's push for that for James Brandenburg to get a Tupac tattoo. Anyway, man. If uh, do you want folks to get a hold of you? If they, if you do, how would they do that, man? I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm on Instagram. I'm at uh, I'm Skillet283. Skillet is a nickname from high school, and 283 is my 
bond number from my fraternity in college. So that's how that came about. (laughs) Plus the golf, man. Man, this is getting rough for me. Uh, So Skillet 283, uh, what about through BHA? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the best way to get a hold of me through BHA would just be our Arkansas BHA um, Instagram. Um, I don't run that, but um, they know how to get a hold of me if, if they got questions about Arkansas BHA. We're always looking for new volunteers um, for different stuff that we have going on, and it's pretty exciting that we've taken from – just basically standing up a chapter. Uh, we had the black bear bonanza back in March. That was wildly successful. And, um, now we're looking at, you know, what can we, what else can we do? What else can we help with? What positive things can we bring to the state and be part of the larger conservation community that's out there doing good stuff, being good dudes, good dudes, (laughs) man, it's a t-shirt. All right. Well, uh, folks, thanks for listening until next time. Hey, if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Black Duck Revival podcast. As always, it's produced by me, Jonathan Wilkins, and Brian Sachs. As this episode is being released, I am leaving Arkansas and I'm making my way in the Black Duck Revival van all the way over to... uh, central california to start my late season turkey tour 2022 i will be hunting for about four or five days in california until the end of season there depending on how quick i can make it over there it's about a 25 hour drive and then i'll be working my way up to oregon hunting in oregon for the better part of a week and then possibly bumping up to Washington. If not, then I'm going to head over to Montana a few days early, try and record some podcasts there, maybe do a little turkey hunting in Montana, and then wind up at the BHA Rendezvous where I'll be doing a panel discussion and giving a waterfowl seminar before making my way back home. So it's kind of a long solo trip. It's, it's almost three weeks long. And I'm super excited about it. I'm hoping to put several, at least several turkeys in the cooler to uh, to bring home back to Arkansas. We'll probably cook some of it up in a celebratory way out there on the road as well. But if you're interested in keeping up with me, the best way to do that and seeing what's happening on that hunting trip, just follow me on Instagram. And that handles Black Duck Revival. You can also follow me and keep up with stuff over at the website. That's blackduckrevival.com. And I should be announcing those waterfowl dates here in the next week or so. So look forward to being able to release those and have folks that have been asking about it be able to get their spots reserved. Hey, if you guys are listening to this, do me a favor. Uh, If you are not subscribed to the podcast, please take a minute and subscribe. Uh, Just on whatever platform you like, Apple, Spotify, any of the other ones, Podbean, yada, yada. Also, if you have not done so, please take a minute to give us a review. As most people know, you know, a five-star review is most helpful. But if you have 
some constructive criticism, I'm happy to hear that as well. So uh, just let us know what you're thinking. If there's stuff that you like and you feel like sharing that, please write a little review. That's very helpful as well. And uh, please find somebody to tell this week about the podcast. That helps it grow. I see it when you guys post on Instagram about it, and I so appreciate that. In closing, thank you again for listening to the podcast. Spread the word, follow on Instagram, and we'll see y'all next time.